you're finding the book of Joshua, chapter 3, and we'll begin to read in verse number 5 this morning. Won't you stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. In the book of Joshua, chapter 3, begin to read in verse number 5, the Bible says these words. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take yourselves, twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as those who bore the ark came to Jordan, the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, and they rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. So the waters that went down from the sea of Arabia, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until the people, all the people, had crossed completely over the Jordan. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that your, again, your precious Holy Spirit, God, would speak to us through your word. And God, I pray this will not be just another Sunday service. God, it will be a day that you do a wonder in our heart and in our lives. I do pray for the one who's never been saved again, God, that they will experience today the greatest miracle that can ever be experienced, and that's being spiritually born again. We pray your Spirit will convict them, draw them, and I pray, God, they'll choose to trust Jesus today. God, and I pray you'll challenge your church today, every disciple who names the name of Christ that's here today. God, I pray we'll never miss out on any of your best for our life. Challenge us from this text today. And we'll thank you for the work that you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. That's the title of our message today. Don't, don't miss out. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 23. Uh, the Bible says that God was reminding the nation of Israel that God brought Israel out of Egypt again that he might bring them in. It's a key verse that we'll repeat over and over again through this study in the book of Joshua. He didn't bring them out just to settle 
to walk around in circles, but he had something great that he wanted to accomplish through their life. So he brought them out of Egypt that he might bring them in to the promised land. Remember that 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, a verse that's really helpful for any passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, says that all of the things that happened to the nation of Israel happened as examples, Paul says to the church at Corinth. And then they're written and they're recorded for our admonition. They're there to warn us, but also to challenge us and to encourage us. And so God's about to do something amazing in the life of Israel. Again, for 40 years, they've walked around in circles. Two things have happened again, death and discipleship. Everyone who's under the age of accountability, 20 years and younger, um, they've lived, they've been discipled. But everyone who was over that age, except for Caleb and Joshua, they've all died because they rebelled against God and they wouldn't cross over 40 years before that. So they have the opportunity to experience a brand new beginning, uh, to be revitalized, as it were, to experience freshness in the Lord. And so God is about to do an amazing thing. And every individual needed to make sure that they didn't miss out on anything that God was doing. And this passage, it really is, it's so full of hidden truths that really aren't that hidden. If you'll just be careful, you can see some great and wonderful things if you don't miss out on them. First off this morning, I would challenge you, don't miss the miracle. Look again at verse number 5 of Joshua chapter 3. But the Bible says God, God through Joshua challenged people to sanctify themselves. That is, to, to set themselves apart, to, to, to get clean. He says, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That means God's about to do a great miracle in your midst. Something that can only be explained by the power of God doing it. And how they responded, remember, to last week's message, to the ark, really determined whether they would miss out on God's miracle or not. Remember that the ark was a, a type of Christ. It had three things that were inside of it. There was a copy of the law, uh, there was a pot of manna, and there was Aaron's rod. And we spent some time last week saying that each of those represent part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so the ark is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how they responded to the ark, uh, because they were to keep their eyes on the ark, to follow the ark as it crossed over, really determined whether they were to experience God's best. As we shared last week, how you and I respond to Jesus Christ determines whether we will experience God's best for our life. Remember, in their response to the ark, first off, they were to follow, verse 3. They were to follow fully. Wherever the ark went, they were to win. Now, the ark's going to stand between them and death, and they're to continue to cross over, but they're still following the ark fully. They were to forsake, uh, verse number four, any competing distractions. They needed to make sure that they stayed back far enough that they could keep their eyes on the ark. And that doesn't mean that you don't draw near to God because he'll draw near to you. It just meant that if they all piled up upon the ark, no one in the back would be able to see. So everybody needed to position themselves so that there would be no distractions in their life that would keep them from keeping their eyes on the ark and following. And we must do that as well. You need to make sure there's no distractions. Just things that can be good in their own right, but they can become bad if they take the place of keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ. So they were to follow. They were to forsake any competing distractions. Then again, as we already looked in verse number 5, they were to forfeit. They were to fully surrender themselves to God's lordship. They were to sanctify themselves. That is, to set themselves exclusively apart 
for God's use. And as I shared last week, I remind you again, friend, many Christians have missed out on God's best. But for our text this morning, listen to me. Many disciples, many families, and hear me, church family, many churches miss their miracle because they settle short of following God into his best. Remember that chapter 1 and verse 12 spoke about Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. These were part of the children of Israel. And on their way up to the Jordan to cross over into the abundant life, into the Jordan, they saw some land that looked pretty good to them. Looked good. And they thought, you know, we can probably make a pretty good life here. And so they'd approached Moses prior to his death and said, hey, do you think God would just let us stay here? I know we're, just, we're supposed to cross over. It's God's plan that we cross over. But this looks pretty good to us here. I, I think everything would be fine if we just stay here. And God allowed them to settle. The men of the families are still going to have to cross over and help fight to conquer the land. But don't miss this. The nation of Israel, nine and a half tribes are about to cross over. But the families of Gad, the families of Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they're going to miss out. While everybody else is crossing over on dry ground and seeing the great miracle that God's about to do, they're back behind everybody. And they're missing out. I want you to hear me this morning. It's entirely possible, friend, that God wants to do something amazing in your life that can only be explained by His power being released in you and through you. To do something that can only be explained as a miracle through your family. And friend, I'm talking about miracle. I'm not talking about lengthening of legs and, and, and some miracle that you see on television late at night. I'm talking about just something that God wants to do in you and through you that can only be explained by His power being released through your abandoned life. It can happen in the life of a church. Something God wants to do. But we can miss it. We can absolutely, completely miss it because we settle short and we compare what we think's good to what God thinks is best and exchange it and we absolutely miss our miracle. Don't, don't miss a wonder because you won't fully follow Christ's will for your life. You hear me this morning, friend? God will allow you to settle in mediocrity. He will allow you to settle in what you think is best, but doesn't even compare to what he thinks is best. Don't miss your miracle. Secondly, don't miss the meaning. Look at verse number 11 of Joshua chapter 3. The Bible says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand in a great heap. And so it was when all the people set out from their camp, to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, and they rose into a heap very far away at Adam. 
Friend, that couldn't have happened any other way but the power of God. It was a miracle what had happened. And so what it was was this. All the people were to be organized. They were to be ready to march. And the Ark of the Covenant was going before the people. And as soon as the bottom of the soles of the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water, immediately God made the water stand up in a heap. And not just right beside them, friend. It just dried up. It went all the way back up river to a city called Adam. And God dried the land that was there. It was a miracle. Nothing else short could explain it. It was the power of God who had made that happen. But listen to what the Bible says in verse number 10 before, Joshua, before all those things took place. Joshua said by this, by the miracle, by what God is about to do in making the Jordan, who was not, friend, listen, they weren't praying for rain when this happened. The Jordan was at its flood stages. It was in the bushes. She was running out in the road. It was absolutely full to where God could get all the glory. And it ceased. The water ceased and came up into a heap. He says, and by this, the miracle that takes place, you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Anybody that had ites tied to their name, God was going to drive them out. The miracle was there, friend, not just to make a way, but it was also there to teach a lesson. So they didn't need to miss the miracle, but they didn't need also to miss the meaning. The miracle was also there to teach them some things about the Lord. It was a reminder that he would be with them and he would accomplish what he had promised. Listen to me. Every day there wasn't going to be a miracle. Certainly it's a miracle, friend, that the sun shines each new day. Certainly it's a miracle that there's breath. But if, if a miracle happened every day, it really kind of ceased to be a miracle. The Jordan River didn't dry up every single day. That's not something, matter of fact, we don't see in Scripture it really happened like that any other time like that. Not at all. So it was a miracle that it was happening. And God was trying to teach them something through that. That if he could do that, he could accomplish anything that stood in their way that the devil might try to use to hinder them from accomplishing all that God wanted to do in their lives. First off, it was a reminder of his sustaining work. Any need would be met in his will, whatever it was. The walls of Jericho need to fall. God's going to give them a plan. And when they follow that plan and they're obedient to those plans, the walls come tumbling down. Anything that they need. The giants are there. They're too great to fight. God gives them favor. They're able to destroy them. They're becoming weary in the battle. God gives them strength. Any need that they had, God would sustain them. And it's true for the individual, the family, and the local church today. Hebrews 13, verse 5, the Bible says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God was trying to teach the nation of Israel, you're not crossing over without me. I'm going to go with you. And I'm going to help sustain you for the work that you have to accomplish. And friend, I know it's dark days that we live in and we can really become discouraged when we look at the world scene and, and really what civilization, even here in the good old Bible Belt, has really not evolved but devolved into. But friend, we need to be reminded the Lord is still with His people. 
Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Matthew 28, verse number 20. When he gave a mission to the church, he concluded and says, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end. He'll be with us all the way to the end of this age. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6. The apostle Paul certainly knew of God's work in his life and trying to encourage a church that was facing hardship. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until Christ Jesus. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, friend, there's no river, there's no wall, there's no hindrance, there's no challenge, there's no weapon formed against you that can prosper. God will make a way. There is His sustaining work in our lives. He's promised to meet all of our needs. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I've always been encouraged in that. And whatever God calls us to do as a church, whatever He calls your family to do in ministry, whatever He calls me individually to do. Friend, listen, I can just write the check by faith in Jesus Christ and God will always provide. So there is His sustaining work. But don't miss also that there was His saving work. Remember that in Exodus chapter 12, the Bible records these words about how they made it out from under the judgment of death that was going to come against the nation of Egypt when they were still enslaved. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 22 says this, And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood that's in a basin. This was from the Passover lamb, verse 21, that they all had to take and to willingly kill. And they were to take that blood and they were to strike it to the lintel of the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. And none of you shall go out from the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. It was by the blood of the Lamb. It was his saving work amongst his people that he had already done. Well, it was time for them to walk out of Egypt and be reminded that as they approached an obstacle, the Red Sea, Egypt was also coming behind them. Pharaoh, all of a sudden, he's upset. Now he doesn't want them to go. Pride has taken over his heart wholly. The Lord hardened his heart, but he hardened his own heart. And what can seem like a very insignificant verse, but are, are, are some of my most favorite things to do as I read the Bible, it's to look for Jesus in every passage of Scripture. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 19 that the angel of God, capital A-N-G-E-L. Who's the angel of God? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a pre-New Testament appearance of Christ. The Bible says that the angel of God who had gone before the camp of Israel, friend, listen, it was by the blood of the Lamb that they escaped the judgment of death. Who led them out of Egypt? The angel of God did. It's Jesus that led them out of captivity. Well, now the Red Sea's before them. God's going to part the Red Sea. Egypt's about to descend upon them, all the army of Egypt. And listen to what the Bible says the angel of God did. The angel who had gone before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. 
Friend, their judgment is about to fall down on them in the form of what Egypt wants to do. And the Lord Jesus Christ stands between them and certain death. And now here we see a type of Christ that stepped in to the, to the, to the Jordan River, which is the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the ark stood between them and certain death. Remember, the, the priests were to carry the ark into the river. And note that Jordan means the river of judgment in Hebrew. Wade out into the river, try to swim the river without some form of, flo of flotation, you're going to drown. But the ark went in there against the river of judgment and stood between them and certain death. Friend, that's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He stood between us and start certain death. And friend, if you've never been saved, listen, the cross stands between you and heaven. The reason you can't go to heaven is because you've never received Jesus to be Lord of your life. But when you trust Christ, friend, you're moving on to the right side of the cross. And the reason you can't go to hell is because the cross stands between you and certain judgment. All that water stood heaped up all the way to Adam. And so don't miss the meaning in what was taking place. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Don't miss this. It wasn't just for who, who was alive that day and for who would live. When Jesus died upon the cross, stay with me, and said it's finished. It was for everybody who would ever be born, but it also went all the way back to Adam. Hebrews chapter 11 is really the, the hall of faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Well, how did Abel come about to be a person of faith? It was because his mom and dad taught him how. The Bible says that he was slain because of a jealous brother, but the Bible goes on, some of his family, verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken away. He didn't see death. He had a good testimony. He followed God. Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear. Uh, verse 8, by faith Abraham followed the Lord. Uh, by faith Sarah, verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 11, she also, the Bible says, by faith Abraham, verse 17, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, when, who, when he had received a promise, was uh, offered up his only begotten son, in whom it was said, Isaac, your seed shall be called. By faith, Isaac, verse 20, blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed all of his sons. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departing. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. We go to uh, verse number 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the harlot Rahab. How were people pre-Calvary saved? By faith. By faith. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And so when Jesus died on the cross, listen, His atoning work not only died for people who were alive that day, paid for the sins of people who were alive that day, and those who would be born, us, but also, friend, all the way back to Adam, when the ark, which is a type of Christ, stood in the river of judgment and held back certain judgment from destroying the nation of Israel, it went all the way back to where? To Adam. It was a foreshadow. It was a picture. As they walked through the river, if they weren't careful, friend, they would miss what it was that God was teaching them. 
The ark in the middle of the river Jordan is a picture of what Christ would accomplish on the cross and make available through an empty tomb for all who would follow him and who would cross over into an abundant life. Listen to me this morning. Don't miss the meaning of the cross. The cross can't save you, but the sacrifice that took place there, it can. Nobody ever gets saved by two pieces of wood, friend. Listen, the cross didn't make Jesus special. Jesus made the cross special. It was His sacrifice. The wages of sin is death. He died that we might live. Don't miss the meaning of what took place. Third, don't miss the memorial. Well, we didn't read all of chapter 4 because I didn't want to make your legs start wobbling, but we're going to ease over into chapter 4 this morning. So they've, they've crossed over now, and look what the Bible says in chapter 4, verse number 1. It came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spake to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of Jordan, that is, while they were crossing, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them with you, over with you, and shall leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from, the tri from each tribe of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. So they were to take these twelve stones, and they were to carry them over to the other side of the Jordan, and then Joshua was going to put them together as a memorial. Nothing special. Wasn't going to break any cement out or mortar and make any special. Thing. They weren't going to put a placard on it like Baptists do and memorialize every single little thing that has no spiritual significance. They, it was just something that could be used to later teach a lesson. Look what the Bible says in verse number 6. You're to do this that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time, saying, what do these stones mean? That is, if you're passing by, or if just that day they're piling the rocks up, and you've got children who are small and spiritually they're not developed yet. They're not people of faith yet. They haven't come to that age. He said, this is going to be a teaching opportunity for you to say, well, I'll tell you why these stones are here. The answer is this, verse 7. You shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Verses 21 and 23 repeat almost the same thing. It, it was a second reminder. Joshua was saying, don't miss the memorial. Don't miss the opportunity of what the stones represent. Now listen, friend, they were just 12 stones. There was nothing special about them. They didn't glow. The Bible doesn't say, you know, that they had any special aura to them. There wasn't a special water that came out that could be bottled and sold. It was just 12 ordinary rocks. But what they represented was something special. It was what the Lord had done in their midst. It was His saving work, and it also spoke of what His sustaining work was going to do, be when he led them now into this abundant life. We have two rocks. We, we don't have 12 rocks. We have two rocks to mention. We have baptism, 
And we have the Lord's Supper. Both baptism and the Lord's Supper memorialize. Baptism demonstrates and memorializes. You know, most biblical scholars agree that where the nation of Israel is crossing right here is also where John the Baptist was ministering and baptizing when the Lord Jesus Christ came to be baptized. Coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. The baptism commemorates, friend, what Jesus Christ would do and was going to offer through his resurrected life. His baptism, when Christ was baptized, it was a foreshadow of what he would accomplish on the cross for us. And when he walked out of that river wet, it was a picture of leaving that cold, dark tomb in a resurrected glory and the life that we can share in him. By faith, by faith, when we're baptized into his sacrifice and to his life and raised to walk in newness of life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. He says, Therefore we were buried with him, that's Jesus, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And every time someone's baptized, friend, listen, physically, all they do is get wet. They get into the water, they go all the way under, and they come all the way up. That's physically all that happens. Spiritually, something's happening because they're being obedient to the first command in the life of a disciple to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. But we who watch it, friend, we see a memorial. We're looking at a stone standing on the ground, just as there were 12 stones on the other side of the river, on the west side of Jordan. We're seeing a memorial of what Jesus Christ did for us. His death, His burial, and His glorious resurrection. We're seeing what He did in our life. How we died. We died with Him. And we were raised to walk in the newness of life. And we ought to seize that opportunity. And if a child or someone asks them, what's, what's the deal with baptism? Now, I've, I've heard some people say, you know, that really like to blow in their duck calls that... Uh, you know, you've got to be baptized in order to be saved. I've heard there's, there's some denominations that believe it. They say, oh no, the Bible doesn't. Any addition, Jesus plus anything equals four, equals one word with four letters. C-U-L-T. Cult. That is, friend, this. When you add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ, it is works and it is not biblical salvation. The Apostle Paul says, though I or an angel or any other one else come and tell you that there's another gospel, there's not. He says that person is not to be listened to and they're to be damned because of what they're saying. There's only one way it's through Jesus Christ. But what baptism does do is this. It's an opportunity for you to share with someone that it, is, it memorializes it demonstrates what Christ has done in our life, and it memorializes what He's done in our lives when we get to watch and to see what's happened. So that's, that's the first stone, but then there's the second stone of the Lord's Supper. Remember, Jesus Himself said, Paul quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, He says, And when Jesus had given thanks, He took the bread, broke it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in... What? Remembrance of me. 
It's a memorial. He says in the same manner also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in what? Remembrance of me. It memorializes. Now friend, listen. The, the Lord's Supper itself, is, it's a dry little wafer that doesn't taste good and just a thimble full of grape juice. That's all that it is. There's nothing to it. You know, we, we don't call some priest in who magically prays into the body and blood of Jesus the way some believe. If you mistaken it one Sunday, you're not going to die and go to hell. It can't save you. But what it does is this. It memorializes the precious sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a stone laying on the ground that when I take that piece of bread and I put it in my mouth, I'm chewing that piece of bread just like the body of Jesus Christ was broken and scourged for us. When I drink that juice, it's a symbol of I've internalized His sacrifice. Not literally, but spiritually. By faith, when I turned and trusted Him to be Lord of my life. His blood, just like they applied the blood to the doorposts of those houses, by faith it was applied to the doorposts of my life. And when the judgment of death comes against me one day, it's appointed to man once to die, and then the judgment. Praise God, friend, death will pass over me. And I hope you can say this morning, it will pass over you. And that's what the Lord's Supper does. It memorializes that. But if you miss that in baptism, and you miss it in the Lord's Supper, you've just missed it. And when children or someone else ask them, what's that all about? Just like it gave them the opportunity to cease to talk about God's saving work and His sustaining work, seize the opportunity to talk about the work of Christ in the life of His church. So don't miss the miracle. Don't miss the meaning. Don't miss the memorial. And fourth, I challenge you this morning, don't miss the mission. Well, let's pick up in verse 21 of Joshua chapter 4. Then he spoke with the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? This was a reminder of what he'd already said earlier. Then you shall let your children know, saying this, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan. And again, friend, this was a type of Christ. It was a type of His saving work. The ark stood between them and certain death. The river of judgment was cut off all the way to Adam. The Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up before us until we had crossed over. Listen that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. He says, don't miss the mission. Don't miss the reason that you are crossing over. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, God had told them, you're to be a kingdom of priests to me. You're, you're to train your children in the direction that they should go. You're to, you're to teach them my word to fear me. You're to be fruitful and you're to be multiplying. Because remember, friend, the Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says that the gospel came to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So salvation was going to come first to the Jews and then it would be offered to all people. That's verse 24, that all the people of the earth 
may know the hand of the Lord. And that's the sad thing, one of the saddest things that happened during those 400 years we call the intertestamental period between the end of Malachi and when John the Baptist came as one crying in the wilderness. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had so turned away the nation of Israel, they forgot what their purpose was. And it wasn't to be an exclusive group all to themselves. They were to be a people that were going to have the benefit, friend, to introduce the written word and the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, to a lost and dying world. Why were they crossing over? Well, friend, one of the biggest reasons was this, and they didn't even know exactly who it was or by what family it would go through. Listen to what Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 4 says. The Bible says, Ram begot Amnadab, and Amnadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon. And so in the midst of all these people who were crossing over on dry ground, the priests are standing there with the Ark of the Covenant, there's a man by the name of Salmon who's walking over with his family. And he's a single man. He's, he's a bachelor. He's all by himself, and he's crossing over into this land wondering what all's going to be there, what the battles are going to be like, what the challenges are going to be. He's so excited about this new opportunity in the Lord. And then one day after the battle at Jericho, listen, he happens to walk up to this most beautiful woman who's got a brand new life in Almighty God. Her name's Rahab. She had once been a harlot. But by the blood of the Lamb, friend, her life has been forever changed. And Salmon looked at her, and boy, God just began to do something in his heart, and he fell in love with her. And then they were married, and then they began to have children. And they had a son by the name of Boaz, and Boaz begat a name by the name of Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. And other generations, 14 other generations, from David down to the to the judgment of Babylon, and then 14 other judgments after that, friend, till we get to ver- uh, generations, till we get to verse number 16, where the Bible says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. Jesus didn't have a father. No one begot him but the Holy Spirit. Why was the nation of Israel crossing over? So they could continue to have family after family after family, generation after generation. Galatians 4, 4 says, till in the fullness of time, Christ would be born. That was the mission, to introduce the written word and the living word. Friend, don't miss the mission. Why does the church exist? It's not for us. The church exists for missions. The church exists to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. And so many churches miss the mission because they become so inwardly focused. They become controlled by vain tradition rather than the precepts of Scripture. And friend, if we're ever going to make a difference in this lost and dying world, it's not necessarily what's going to happen here on Sunday morning. It's what's going to happen on Monday morning when you're out living on mission with the Lord. That's where a lost and dying world is. And so as you go about your day, as you go about your retirement, as you go about whatever tomorrow is going to be, don't miss the mission. Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. Matthew 28.19-20, reach, teach, and encourage. But most of the nation of Israel, they missed it. They missed it. 
They became so self-focused on themselves, they missed the blessing of what being a Jew was even really, really about. And it was through them God chose one nation to bring the written word and the living word, Jesus Christ. Friend, listen, God didn't need the nation of Israel, and God doesn't need us. It's a privilege, friend, to be on mission. God can use a rock, He can use a donkey. Matter of fact, any old bush will do for God to speak through. It's the privilege that we have to be able to be a part of missions. I believe with all my heart, friend, Revelation 21, verse 4, the Bible says that he'll wipe the tears from our eyes away. I believe the majority of those tears are going to be because we're standing at the judgment seat of Christ. Christians are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to review and we're going to see all the miracles that we missed. The great and mighty things that God wanted to do in our life and through our lives, but we settled short just like Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. We just settled short. This is not, this is good. And there we're going to have to stand and cry, and thanks be to God, friend, none of those things will be remembered anymore. Opportunities that we had to live on mission, targets that God placed in for, before us to share the good news of the gospel, how they can have life and life more abundantly. We wasted and missed because we missed the mission. We were so inwardly consumed with us and with our lives and our wants and our desires that we missed completely what it was that even saved us to do, and that's to reach a lost and dying world for his name's sake. It's about building the kingdom of God one soul at a time. If you've never been saved, don't miss the miracle of salvation. Call on Christ today, trusting to be Lord of your life. Child of God, if you've taken control of your life, or you know for a fact you've settled short, you've never really crossed over into the abundant life, don't miss out. Choose today. Say, no more, God, I'm crossing over. Whatever you want to do in me and through me, I'll do. Don't miss the meanings of the miracles that God brings about in your life. It's not just for your self-preservation. It's to teach you something about him and his presence and his work in your life. And please, dear heavens, as we start this Bible camp this week, we don't do Bible camp just because that's what we do every summer. The reason we have a Bible camp is because it is a wonderful tool to share the gospel with little lost children and their families. That's why we have Bible camp in Bible school. Don't miss the mission. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never been saved, God loves you. He sent Christ to die for you. He has paid the price for your sin. But you must choose to turn and trust Him today. Silently where you sit, won't you tell Him so today that you want to be saved? Pray just like this. God, forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross. And I believe that payment stands today between me and hell. I turn from my sin. I trust Jesus. His finished work on the cross. The grave is empty. I ask him to come live his resurrected life in me today. That's my prayer. If you prayed that, won't you make your way to the front in just a few moments so I can encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life? Friend, have you missed a past miracle? You know it. God's convicted you of it. The bus is gone and you can't bring it back. But if you've got breath, friend, there's still hope for tomorrow. Surrender your life afresh and anew today. That's revival. Let God revive a work in you. Something that He wants to do in you and through you that only He can get the glory for. 
And friend, it's, it's all about the mission. Christ died because God so loves the world. Be a part of that. Yield yourself afresh and anew today. Maybe your prayer of commitment should be this. God, I thank you for the day you saved me. And I know you want to do something great and wonderful today and tomorrow and the next day if I should live in my life. I yield myself to it. You live the life through me you want to live. And God, I won't, I won't miss the memorials. Lord, every day I turn to your word, I'll be reminded of the love you demonstrated and that you died for me. And Lord, every day I'll be mindful of your resurrected life because you're living it through me. Father, I pray you'll give me opportunity and favor, just like you gave Joshua amongst the people. I pray you'll give me favor amongst those that I do business with, see, work with every day for the purpose of sharing the gospel and encouraging others, discipling people that they'll live that same way. God, help us not to miss it, that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, the only tears we will shed will be tears of joy as we're so thankful for all that you did and all we're going to be able to experience for all eternity in Jesus Christ. Father, sanctify the truths of these texts to our hearts. Call us into your will now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Their heads bowed in their eyes.